You are listening to the light of today with the powerful, life-changing Word of Christ that heals, delivers, transforms, and fills you with the Holy Spirit. Let God's truth burst forth into your heart. Stay tuned to the light of today with Chris Palmer. If you have your Bibles, let's go to Luke chapter 24 and verse number 49. And I want to talk to you tonight about the person, promise, and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 24 and verse number 49. How many are thankful for the Holy Spirit in your life? Amen. Where were you before you had the Holy Spirit? <laughs> Not good. Can it? <laughs> <laughs> At least we have one honest sister. Yeah. <laughs> Where were you before you had God, before you found Him? Luke chapter 24, 49 says, This is Jesus talking. After His resurrection, after His work had been started, He finished it, accomplished it. Remember, Jesus was baptized with what? The Holy Spirit. After he was baptized, 30 years he walked without it. 30 years, Jesus, whatever he was doing while he was a child, increasing in wisdom and knowledge. He was a carpenter, the Son of God. He knew who he was, but his ministry had yet to been revealed. Jesus went into the River Jordan to fulfill a rite and fulfill Scripture. He was baptized by his cousin John, who was part of the Levitical priesthood at that time. He was a true priest. The political organization had corrupted the high priesthood. Caiaphas, Annas weren't rightful heirs to that. It was through the family of John the Baptist. Jesus went down there. He got baptized by his cousin. John says, no, 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 you can't come in here and be baptized. I, you have, I have need you baptize me. You're the one that has fire. You're the one in whose shoes, Laish, I'm not worthy to tie. And Jesus says, I must do this. That prophecy must be fulfilled. Very interesting statements. Things that need to be studied out. Cultural things going on there. We'll talk about that when we discuss how to study the Bible. And I was just telling Jordan at lunch about studying the Bible. Was this exciting what I was telling you? Yeah, I was excited. <laughs> <laughs> Turning it upside down at lunch. What? what? Really? That? No, we'll see that. Way. It'll be in a couple weeks here. And so, when that happened, something significant took place. And the, whole, the Bible says that a voice said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well. Please. And the Spirit of God descended in the form of what? A dove. And came to rest upon Jesus. And He entered into His public ministry. Jesus for three years went about destroying all powers and works of the devil. But that hadn't come to its head and its fulfillment. Because Jesus had to do what He came to do. And that was die for the reconciliation of His people. Amen. We need Jesus. The center of the gospel. The center of all biblical prophecy. And all historical and every aspect of fulfillment is what? Jesus. He will always be the center. We'll talk about that. Everything has to come back to Jesus. Your salvation comes back to Jesus. Everything comes back to Him. But standing next to the center of it all. He's not the center, but standing so close to the center that if you look at the center, you have to see this person, and that is the Holy Spirit. You will never find Jesus. You'll never understand Jesus, and you'll never understand who Christ is in you to you and through you the hope of glory until you understand the promised person and work of the Holy Spirit. Do you believe that tonight? Yeah. So Jesus saw that the Holy Spirit was so important. He says here in verse number 46, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, to rise the dead the third day, raise from the dead the third day. 
and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations. If you have your Bibles, you want to underline that statement right there because it is very, very important. It is the direct object of the word preach. A direct object for those that haven't been in English class for a while means what receives the action of the verb. The verb is being preached. The purpose of the verb is a direct object and that is to all nations. And it says beginning at Jerusalem. So when the disciples heard this, it was something unusual because he's saying that now salvation is not just Jewish in nature. It is going to come to everybody, whether you're from Africa. Oh, I feel the Holy Spirit in this place right now because it pleases the Lord when his spirit and when people receive Jesus through the power of the spirit. Are you here today? When God's power is poured out in China and South America and Brazil. I remember when I was in Brazil, I've never felt the presence of God so strong in a service anywhere ever. Think back to the Holy Ghost services you've been a part of, many of which I've been a part of, same types of services, and I have never felt the presence of God that way. I know that there is a deeper level. You say, oh, that was a good service. I've never gone into a service beforehand, walked in there to set something up, and I start weeping and crying and have to go into the bathroom because the presence of God is so strong because people's hearts are crying out for it, and people are not going there just to hear a word. They're going there to receive the promise of the Father. Everything that Jesus came for you did for you is so that you could have that experience yeah. and it pleases the Lord when people have that experience it wasn't in God's mind just to save Israel people say well me I'm a Jew that doesn't do anything Paul says what good is it you to be the Jew it was because you had the Old Testament promises the Jewish race was special because that's through whom the Messiah came through but that was God's choice and God's election but in this day guess what God's elected you the same way Praise God. that salvation as it once came through the Jew as pertaining to the Messiah now salvation can come through you you are a spiritual Israel and just like Israel brought in the Messiah, wherever you go on your job and your workplace, you can bring in the Messiah just as well so people can be reconciled to God. I'm preaching by the Spirit tonight. Amen. Allow the Holy Ghost to have His way. You're going to start feeling the presence of God in just a few minutes. The presence of God is going to come in here. That's why I send people my notes because if you feel too much presence to take notes, put your pen down and just let the Spirit of God move upon you. Amen. We don't have notebooks. That's not the purpose. The purpose is that we have a heart that is inscribed. God's presence is in your heart and you're going to see just the moment that Jesus didn't die so you can sit in church and take notes. Jesus died so that you could be full of the Holy Spirit in your life. That you don't have to ever sometimes go and get those notebooks. You know, some people come up to me and they say, Brother Palmer, how do you get all that knowledge? I say, you know, I never take notes in church. I just sit there and allow the Spirit of God to write it upon the tablets of my heart. I haven't taken notes in church in 10 years. How about that? I never take notes in church. You know why? Because I go outside and I meditate on what God's Word is saying. Are you here tonight, church? And I'm going to preach to you like there's 7,000 people here tonight. I don't care. I'm pulling the tabs off. We're going. <laughs> you don't take notes in church uh -uh. I come to church to add my supply and be filled with the spirit I go to class to take notes I do independent studies it's okay if you take notes but sometimes take the pen and throw it across the room and allow the spirit of God to breathe into your heart when you want to lead someone to Jesus you can't get your notes but you better be full of the spirit when you want to cast out the devil you're not going to be able to go home and pull that notepad out what you need is a word from God to get rid of that evil spirit in someone's life and get them changed around do you hear tonight? You know, Brother Hagin used to teach that there's a teaching anointing and there's a preaching anointing.
anointing. And sometimes when the preaching anointing comes on you, God fills your mouth. Amen? You just let over and just allow the Spirit of God to preach through you. Amen. Preaching is not something you decide to do. You don't wake up and say, you know what? I think I'm going to preach today. I think I'm going to teach today. You let the Holy Ghost have His way. And if He starts preaching through you, go with the preaching. Amen, Jordan? If He starts teaching, go with the teaching. You're going to start seeing in just a second that as I start ministering to you, the one sign of the Spirit of God in a service is spontaneity. That if it ceases to be spontaneous, it ceases to be the Holy Ghost. Yes. Are we here tonight? Yes. So Jesus, are you guys here tonight? You're going to get this. Oh, I like asking that question. It demands a response. Yeah. Wow. Many people have turned from my spirit, says the Lord, and it's grieved my heart. Yeah, my church in this last day and hour has made the same mistake that Israel has made, and that was they grieved my spirit, and they pushed my presence out of the church. But I've never told and said that I would withdraw my spirit, and my spirit is still upon the earth moving in its greater dimension. Will you receive? And those that receive, they'll receive a greater measure, and they'll receive the measure, and they'll receive all of the outpouring that I would have delivered to those that have rejected to me. So there lays a, in wait for you a greater touch of my presence and my spirit, for my spirit will go where he is called, and my spirit will show up to where he is honored. In this day and age, I ask people who will honor my presence and who will honor my spirit, that very thing that I poured out for you to have, so that you could walk in life and so that you could be full of what you're looking for. And that is my presence, says the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Too many people surprised. They'll get to heaven and say, Lord, where is my reward for the things that I've done? And I say, I was not involved in those things that turned my spirit away. And when you grieve my spirit, says the Lord, you grieve me because I paid a price for you to have that spirit. But when you ask for my spirit, it pleases my heart. For what you think you need is not what you need. What you need from me is that thing that I gave you when I answered all problems and sent you the fullness of my spirit, says the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So we find in Scripture that the Bible says that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in His name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Jesus told it in verse number 48, And you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. Someone say the promise of the Father. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. When Jesus says that I'm sending the promise of the Father upon him, this is an extremely interesting statement because he wasn't talking to Gentiles when he said it. Ultimately, the promise of the Father was going to reach the Gentiles. And the promise of the Father was going to reach the Gentiles through the people who first initially received the promise of the Father. Am I talking too deep for you tonight? <laughs> A lot of history, but it's going to see how it pertains to your life. My goal by the end of the teaching in the next hour is for you to understand who the Holy Spirit is and why it is so important. He's not an option. And He is not going to cooperate with people that go on not acknowledging Him and who He is in His supremacy. Are you here? Yes. He said, I'm going to send the promise of my Father upon you. And when I send Him to you, He's so important that I don't want you to go anywhere until you receive Him. Because if you don't receive Him, then the Gentiles aren't going to receive Him. If you don't receive my Holy Spirit, then nobody else is going to receive my Spirit. And of course, the disciples said, well, we have to wait, like Jesus says, for a Spirit. So what did they do? They found the upper room, which happens to be the same place where they had the Last Supper. Did you know that? The upper room is where they had the Last Supper. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's where they had the last supper. That, you go there when you go to Israel. You go in that room. Same place. They go up there. They're waiting. And the Bible says that there came the sound of a, mush, a rushing mighty wave. And the Spirit of God was poured out. And tongues of cloven fire came to rest upon each of them. I remember sitting in church hearing about that. Amen. Tongues of fire came upon them. They started speaking in tongues. They said, are these people crazy? We'll talk about that in just a second. But they had received the promise of the Father. So the question is... What is the promise of the Father? Look at your neighbor and say, What's the promise of the Father? Look at someone and say, Do you know what the, pro the promise of the Father is? What is the promise of the Father? The promise of the Father is so important. But if you go through the Bible, you go through the Old Testament and you go through the New Testament, you're going to, have a, you're going to see a lot of promises that God made His people. God promised Abraham. God promised Noah. God promised David. God promised Solomon. Things. But what promise is He talking about here? Well, you have to go back and understand that when God created man, He didn't create man out of need. Some people say, well, God created human beings because God had a need. He was lonely. God wasn't lonely as much as He's going to be in the future. He was in the past. He wasn't lonely. God created human beings because He is love. And in order for Him to have love, He wanted to direct His love towards something. You can have a lot of love in your heart when you say, I have a lot of love, but you stay by yourself all day. You don't really know how much love you have in your heart until you have someone to show that love to. Amen. So God created human beings out of love. And it was God's desire that He would have amongst His people a continual, uninterrupted, abiding presence. Do you know that when man walked the earth, Adam and Eve, you know what the first thing that he didn't give man was? He didn't put a Bible there in the garden. Did you see? Where is the Bible in the Garden of Eden? I didn't see the Bible in the Garden of Eden. I'm not saying we don't need the Bible. The Bible is very important. We're going to talk about the Word when we get there. But tonight we're talking about the other side. That's the Spirit. He didn't have a... They didn't say, Adam, come here real quick. Stay away from that tree and read this book. And there's 66 books in it. No, that didn't happen. God's will was that He would abide with His people eternally. That there would be a continued abiding presence that He had consistently, 24-7, all the time. That wherever man went, there would be the abiding presence of the Lord. And of course, you know, we won't talk about it tonight. There was a great fall that happened. Amen. Amen. And when this fall came, God's plan of redemption kicked in and he began to redeem the world. But guess what man lost? He lost his access to the presence of God. No more presence for man. Adam could get up and there would be the presence. Adam could go to bed and there would be the presence. As a matter of fact, because there was no sin, there was always presence. It wasn't going in and coming out of the presence of God. It was an uninterrupted, unfulfilled thing. This was the presence of God. And just like you need food and just like you need uh, uh, water and sustenance to sustain you physically, you need the presence of God to sustain you as a spirit being. Are you here? You know when you're longing and you say, I need something, I, 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 I just feel empty Spiritually, what you are saying is, I need the presence of God in my life. You say, I just don't feel the same. I feel like something's wrong. You're saying, I need God's presence in my life. I need the presence of God. You say, well, I just feel dry spiritually because you haven't been in the presence. People that have been in God's presence, they don't feel dry. You spend time in the presence of God. You walk outside and people say, why are you smiling? Because I've been in God's presence. But nothing's going right for you. It seems like when I'm in God's presence, everything 
everything's going right. Because you can have all your ducks in order, but if you don't have the presence, all those ducks don't mean squat because you don't have your purpose. Your purpose was to be in the presence of God. Well, I need to go out there and make money. You'll feel unfulfilled unless you have the presence. Well, I need to go out there and build a big ministry. That big ministry will do nothing unless you have the presence of God in your life. Are you here tonight, people? And of course, when there was a great fall and mankind was expelled, he lost the presence of God so something happened God says you know what my people can't go without my presence because if they went without the presence of God God say well I might as well destroy him now either I'm going to bring my presence back to mankind or I'm going to destroy him because it would just be tortured to allow are you here tonight people it would just be tortured it'd be you know it's like letting mankind just go and go on its own and just go on and on and live and die and live and die and what's the point of that when there's no purpose so God says this is what I'm going to do I'm going to institute my plan and I'm going to reach out back to mankind and so all of a sudden there's a guy we know him his name is Moses Moses is up in the mountains depressed sad I just killed a man and I was the prince of Egypt and everybody thought I was something and you know I was doing good and I just uh, you know I found out that I'm really not an Egyptian you know and things aren't going good I'm just going to come out into this wilderness and walk around and he's just walking around one day a shepherd boy who was once a prince and all of a sudden something happens something happens to Moses he's in the, one day on top of a mountain that we know today is called Sinai just playing around and all of a sudden he sees a bush and it's burning and you know back then bushes burnt all the time because the sun would hit something that's dry it's like forest fire and he says oh man this bush is on fire and he goes to check it out but he realizes the bush isn't burning up it's just on fire but this fire is not getting put out so Moses goes over to investigate and the Spirit of God says to Moses take off your shoes because where you are standing is what? Holy ground. Holy ground. <laughs> so now, for the first time in Moses' life, Moses experiences purpose. Hallelujah. Moses experiences the presence of God. Amen. Significant because he had been in the presence of Pharaoh. What greater presence on the earth when you're the top leader of the, of the whole world at that time? But he says, this presence is different from Pharaoh. And God, out of that presence, speaks to him and says, Moses. And he tells him, go get those people out of Israel. And so for the very first time in the earth, God's presence comes back. And the moment he's in the presence, then he receives his purpose. And when he receives his purpose... He receives power. You know why people don't have their purpose and they don't have power today? It's not because they don't have the right talk show or enough self-help tapes. People have that stuff, they're still depressed. They're not because they're not taking Jenny Craig or something they think will make their life better. It's because they have no presence in their life. So he goes there, you know the story, he sets people free. I don't want this to be a history lesson tonight. People, they're, they're done being set free. And then God says, take those people back into the desert. 
He performs miracles, signs, and wonders. You see a death angel go in there, kills all the firstborn for the sake of Israel. And all this stuff starts happening. And God says, Moses, I want to take you into a land where it could just be my people all the time. Now, the purpose of Israel was so that God could have his own people in his own land. So guess what he could do? Dwell amongst the people again. He wanted to dwell amongst the people. So he said, take my people that I've chosen and go into the wilderness where I tell you to go so that you can build to me a temporal place where my spirit will dwell and that is the tabernacle and guess what you go sanctify yourself you be a mediator between me and those people and I will give to you a law and I will give to you instructions on how to house my presence because that that, that fire that you saw on Sinai I want a greater demonstration of it and I don't need a bush now I need a tabernacle Amen. so what's God trying to do is he trying to bring a redeemer Eventually, but God's most concerned, I want to dwell amongst my people. Well, what about Jesus and all this? Well, Jesus, you'll see, has a purpose in all this. But God's trying to get his presence amongst his people again. So Moses goes up there. She says, man, i got to go back up this mountain again. I haven't been here for 40 years ago I was here. I haven't seen this place in a while. He goes back up there, and Yahweh meets with Moses. Takes his finger and gives him the Ten Commandments. This is how the people from this point forward need to govern themselves. And he says, and I'm also going to give to you instructions on how to build me a tabernacle. It's very important that you pay attention because I want to dwell amongst my people. And all of a sudden Moses is coming down from the mountain in a good mood. He's just been in the presence and he hears all this noise going on. He hears racket, he hears loud people shouting and people crying and screaming. He says, uh-oh, this doesn't sound good. This sounds like idol worship. What's going on here? He comes down from the mountain. Exodus chapter 32, the end of chapter 32. And he sees his first in command, Aaron, like to have gone out of his mind. You know the story. He told everyone in Israel, take the gold off. Take, you know, it's interesting because that's what God gave Israel as their inheritance when they left Egypt. All the silver and the gold. It was God who gave them that gold. And now they're taking it off and making a molten calf out of it. You know, people do that all the time. God, I need this. God gives it to you and then you use it to serve the devil. Oh God, I need, all I need you to do is give me a good job. You get a good job and now you're not tithing. Now you're not worshiping God anymore with your job. You're living in luxury. You say, well, it's good for me and my family, but you're not tithing anymore. Because it's never the change take place in your heart. Amen. So he comes down, he tells people, he says, oh, this is terrible. This is terrible. I mean, this is worship. Go with me to Exodus chapter 33. Look what happens. This is boring for you tonight. Wait till we have study the Bible night. <laughs> you say, I, maybe I haven't been studying the Bible to write the whole time. I'm going to show you how to get big hunks of meat out of the Bible. Amen? Amen. Stuff that will have you chewing for weeks. Does that sound good to anybody? Yeah. Yeah. Exodus chapter 33 verse 1. It says in verse 32 verse 35, And the Lord plagued the people because they made the calf which Aaron made. Boy, Aaron. Someone say, shame on Aaron. Shame on Aaron. And the Lord said unto Moses, Depart and go up hence. 
thou and the people which thou hast brought up out of the land of Egypt, unto the land which I swore unto Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, unto your seed will I give it. And verse number two, and I will send an angel before you. Someone say angel. angel. Most people read this and say, oh, this is really nice. God's going to send an angel. This isn't a compliment. God says, no, I'm not going with you. I'm not going with a bunch of idolatry, idealistic, worshiping people. Instead of my presence going with you, Moses, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to send an angel to go with you. Someone say, uh-oh. Uh -oh. And it says, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in the midst of it, for you are stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. And then all of a sudden Moses says in verse number thirty, verse number four, and the people heard these evil tithings and they mourned, and no man did put on his ornaments. Verse five, and the Lord said unto Moses, say unto the children, you are stiff-necked people. I come into the midst of thee in a moment and consume thee. Therefore, now put off your ornaments from you, that I may know what to do unto thee. And it says in verse number. Uh, it says in verse number 8, And it came to pass that Moses went out unto the tabernacle, that all the people rose and stood every man at his tent door and looked after Moses until he was gone into the tabernacle. This represents intercession. You don't have the presence of God until you have somebody that says, You know what? We've lost God's presence. It's time for us to intercede. And it came to pass as Moses entered into the tabernacle that the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses. And all the people saw the cloud cloudy pillar at the tabernacle door and all the people rose up and worshiped every man in his tent and then God starts a conversation with Moses and the Lord spoke unto him face to face as a man speaks unto his friend and Moses said unto the Lord verse 12 see you say unto me bring up this people and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. You said, I know thee by name, and now thou hast found grace in my sight. Now therefore, if I found grace in thy sight, show me now your way, that I may know thee, and that I may consider and find grace in your sight. And verse number 14, he says, My presence shall go with thee, now give you rest. And verse number 15, and he said, If your presence don't go with me, carry not us up hence. Verse number 16, For wherein shall it be known here that I and your people have found grace in your sight? Is it not in thou that thou go? with us so shall we be separated I and thy people from all the people that are upon the face of this earth so basically Moses is saying if an angel goes with us they might not know that we're the people of God if anything else goes with us they're not gonna know that we're the chosen people and the chosen race of God are you here today people but he says but what will give us true significance in our life is if the presence of God goes with us the only thing that makes you significant as a person in this earth, in this age, is if you walk around carrying the presence of God inside of you. Not religion, not having a bunch of head knowledge, not having a doctorate in ancient Hebrew or ancient Greek. The only thing that can give a church or a gathered group of people any type of purpose and significance and make you seem different from the rest is when you have God's presence in your life. Amen. When you have the presence in your life, you 
you won't go around cussing and swearing. People at your job will say, how come when you hit your hand with a nail, you don't cuss, you don't swear? How come when things don't go right for you, you're not saying dirty jokes in the lunchroom? You leave when people say dirty jokes. You say, because there's something inside of me that is against that. Yes. That's God's presence. Or how come it is you always know things about me? How come you pray for me and I, when you pray for me, I feel like there's power. You say, because I am a significant person. Yes. I'm not walking around like the Amorites and the Jebusites and the Hizzites and the Pezzites and all the other in the Bible, I'm walking around like the Israelites, and that is a people that God has chosen and separated. Your house can be like Moab, or your house can be like Israel. Your house can be full of idols and the things of this world, or your house can be separated and set apart with God's presence. And that's what people want today. They say, you know what churches do today? They say, well, as long as we have some of God, as long as we have an angel, so they want God to, or, or what happens is, this whole thing with Israel was not about the promised land. Well, I thought they're trying to get there. It wasn't about the promised land. What was the purpose of the promised land? The purpose of the promised land was that they wouldn't have to keep on picking up their tabernacle and moving it from place to place. They could build a temple and have an ark and have the continual presence of God on the earth again. It wasn't about the, 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 the promised land. It was about the presence. Too many times in ministry, it becomes about the promised land. We need a building. We need to have children's ministry. We need to have outreach program. We need to have uh, good music and good worship. No, it's about the presence of God. Yes. So what do you have a building? Do you have the presence? Well, you know, we, we had to make sacrifices and cuts. No, we have good music. Do you have the presence of God? Because if you don't have the presence, see the purpose of a building, the purpose of all the auxiliaries of a church is because that's what people need. Because you are gathering people to a place. And when people are gathered to a place, you have to have something to support that. So you need a building. You need chairs. You need leadership. You need servants. You need people that have the t-shirt on that are working the soundboard. But all of this is so people could gather. And why do we gather? Because when we gather and start worshiping God, His presence shows up in the place and produces in people's hearts heart transformation you bring somebody in that's looking at pornography that's stuck in drugs that someone's mean to their family and the people are gathered and the presence of God shows up in that place and guess what happens my heart is changed you go home you say I don't want to look at this stuff no more I'm free I've been liberated why because the presence of God is in the place well we don't have the presence like that you know every church is different no God doesn't see it that way God sees different types of colors, different types of skin, different cultures, but the same presence. Well, we have Latino music here. We have black music here. We have white. Good. Play whatever you want to play. Play rap music. Play this. I don't care. Classical. Whatever you want. But if it honors God and it's from your heart, it is the presence of God will show up in that place. Well, you know, my church, you know, we have, we have it going on at my church. We have the best children's ministry. Man, we have all types of playground equipment. That's not what it's about. 
Right. It's about do you have the presence? If I bring someone in here whose heart is hard, somebody that there's no hope of transformation, a prisoner, a murderer, and they step in, will they see significance? Oh, I'm spraying him here with spit. I'm sorry, brother. <laughs> Do you see how that works? Yes. And people say, well, you know, we got to the promised land. Yeah, you got to the promised land, but you went without the presence. Mm. So what are we going to be about? The success. Because what is success in God's eyes? We know the church is growing. God must be with them. That don't mean nothing. Businesses grow. Google grows every day. Stock always going up. Is God with Google? You know how you know God's presence is with you. You know how you know it's God. Because when you go in there, something in here says, yes, purpose. You, you can go into a church and it's dead. You walk in, you sit there. Wow, look at this. It looks so nice. I'm not bitter. I'm not angry. I know big churches that do have the presence of God. I'm not against it. But I'm saying, I need God's presence in my life. Yeah. It's not about yeah. the promised land. The promised land serves the purpose of the presence. The presence doesn't serve the promised land. The presence isn't the purpose for the promised land. The promised land's purpose is to house the presence of God. Yeah. So the people says, we're not going to have the presence. And they responded in two ways. Write this down if you're taking notes. They responded in two ways. When you lose the presence of God, you are not going to get it back. Being arrogant and know-it-allish and arrogant and cocky. The only way you can get the presence of God back is what Israel did, and that was number one, through mourning. They mourned. Because when you mourn, you are recognizing that you lost something. Yes. When you go someplace and they don't have the presence and they don't care, mm -hmm. then you know what that means? They don't realize something is missing. You go someplace and they're happy, doing all sorts of stuff, and the presence is not there, you say, these people don't even know what they have lost. And if you're mourning and you know you've lost something, you do what Moses did and you respond with intercession. God, we need you. We need you, Jesus. We got to have you. And so what Israel did is they started crying out to God and said, God, we have to get into the promised land, but we want your presence. And God reveals another side of himself. And that is, I am slow to anger and I am a compassionate God. And guess what? Yes, I will go with you and I will come with you into the promised land. But Moses, you cannot go. But my presence will go. Are you here today, church? Amen. So all of a sudden, God says, I'm going to be merciful to you and give you another chance. And the presence of God. Now we're talking about the presence, but you're going to see in just a second the presence of God, what that really is. And Isaiah is going to tell you what it is. So the presence is a cloud. It's not a cloud. It forms in a cloud. And it did when the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night stood beside 
and assisted and led and guided and directed Israel. A cloud is an inanimate object. It's got no brain. It cannot think. A cloud doesn't have a mind inside of it. A cloud can't will something. It's blown by the wind. Have you ever seen a cloud? It's up in the sky. If the wind changes direction, it goes the other way. No one's deciding that for itself, but this cloud was different. This cloud thought on its own. This pillar of fire, are you here tonight? Yes. Could not be put out in the pillar of fire by night and cloud by day, took Israel into the promised land. And years later, construction started to happen. After the time of the judges and after the time of Saul, after the time of David, David says, I want to build God a house. And God said, David, when did I ever tell you to build me a house? He said, why don't you tell your son? That's his part. He's going to build me a house. And God began to speak to Solomon to gather up all the gold and all this and all that and start building himself a house. And there was the construction of a temple and that occurred. And in Exodus chapter 40, where the glory of God came in the tabernacle, that Kabod glory. Are you here? I'm talking about the glory. We're talking about the glory tonight here. You guys are like, huh? This isn't some type of business pitched you guys. We're talking about God's presence, His Spirit. I'm not up here talking to you about how you can buy a washing machine. I'm talking to you about Jesus. God's presence, Exodus 40, came into the tabernacle and then all of a sudden Solomon builds a house and they build the outer court, the inner court, the holy of holies and they say, God come and His presence fills the temple once again. And there was a priesthood that was established and an order that was placed. And soon, this little nation of people that had defeated giants and had made a name for themselves and had put all their enemies to shame soon became known as the place where Yahweh dwelled. It was the place where Yahweh dwelled. Go to Psalm chapter 68. Because the presence of God filled the temple, God's presence became a focal point for all of Israel. God's presence started making Israel world-renowned. Psalm 68. And let's go to verse 17. The chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of angels. The Lord is among them, as in Sinai, in the holy place. Say, the Lord is among them. We read this cursorily sometimes. Oh, the Lord is among them. That's nice. Yeah, the Lord is among them. That's nice. No, no, no. Do you know what kind of great price God paid so that He could be among His people? Are you here tonight, church? The Lord is among them. And look what it says here. Thou hast ascended on high and hast led captivity captive. Thou hast received gifts for men. Yeah, for the rebellious also that the Lord God might dwell among them. Wait, you, did you see this? Tamar, did you see this? That God's presence was inside of Israel in Solomon's temple. And it was so powerful that the rebellious heathen Gentile said, we want the presence of God too. What do we have to do to 
to have what you have, Israel. Do we need to come in with gifts? We'll bring gifts. This is humility and repentance. Today, people say, how do we reach the lost? We need to do all sorts of stuff. Maybe we can get a hula hoop. <laughs> Go inside the mall with the hula hoop. Maybe we can get a skip it and skip it and jump it. Maybe we can go around and offer people sandwiches. And I, listen, if you're doing it from your heart, do what, what measuring God's leading you to do. But whatever you're doing, the people will not see the purpose and the significance of it and be envious of what you have. They'll say, oh, you can hula hoop? I can hula hoop too. You can skip it? I can skip it too. You guys are looking like a bunch of unhappy, unchurched people here tonight. <laughs> You can hand out sandwiches. I can make sandwiches too and hand them out to people. You know when the church has become insignificant that when what you're doing can be repeated by other charities. What makes you significant that you give food to the homeless? Well, we need. I'm not against giving food to the homeless, but guess what? The the, the United Way does that. Well, we help the hurricane victims out. Yeah, the church went and built houses, but do you think you're just doing Jesus' work? What about all the other people that believe in you know gay marriage and abortion, all these kind of things? They're doing the same things too. Where's the significance? of all this. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. The significance comes in when you walk in there and start doing the work and they say, you know, I've seen people build houses before. I've seen people help the poor before. But you do it with something different about you. That's right. Yeah. They say, whoa, whoa, we're going to wait till we get to this and just because we're getting ready to just step out of the Old Testament and come back. I was in my school the other day. They said, so are you a Hebrew or are you a Greek student? I said, I'm a Greek student. They said, why? I said, because I'm a New Testament in Him reality. The old has been fulfilled and the new we are in. I said, I don't have time for Greek and Hebrew. I'll take the Greek because I want to learn about where we're at today. Amen. It's nice to know what we came out of. But my God, we're standing in something that's greater. That's right. Praise God. You say, well, I can hula hoop too, but you hula hoop with such there's something about you when you hula hoop. I want to hula hoop too. It's because I got God's presence in my life. Amen. You know, you know that God is pleased and approves something when His presence is there in the midst. Yes. Yes. That's right. So the people said, we, we want to, but then something happened tragically. And Israel, oh, Israel. These guys, Israel, they just don't ever learn, do they? <laughs> How much of the Old Testament do we have to keep reading and find out they feel? If Israel just obeyed, the Old Testament would be smaller than the New Testament. You got all this because they were rebellious, hard-hearted, stiff-necked people. And Israel finally encroaches on God and does not listen to the prophetic utterances of God's people and they rebel and old Nebuchadnezzar rolls up his sleeve and comes on in and he sacks the temple of Israel and destroys it. And the presence of God, the kabod glory, God dwelling with man, is taken not only from Israel, but off the face of the earth. You say, well, that's nice. No, no, no. Hello? I can feel the sobering thoughts of you wondering, is this really true? I can feel the solemn thoughts tonight. Come on, are you with me tonight? Yes. 
and the presence of God leaves. And you know what happens when the presence of God leaves, Natalie. People are carried into captivity. Yeah. Israel, the kingdoms of the north, and eventually the kingdoms of the south. You're like, this is the Old Testament lesson tonight. Are taken into captivity. And now you're in Daniel and the minor prophet's time where the presence of God is gone and Israel is no longer a recognized nation. They become a scattered people. When you don't have the presence of God in a church, in a community, in a nation, in your family, in your life, you know what will begin to happen. You will lose your rightful identity. I don't know who I am because you haven't discovered your identity in Jesus. I don't know what you ask a, a head of a family, say to the, to the man, you say, what are you, what is your, what's your dream for your family? I don't know. I hope they have kids someday, maybe two or three, and maybe they'll go to college, maybe they won't. What about your wife? I don't know. Do, let her do what she wants. But you find a man that houses the presence of God and honors God. And he says, this is what I'm going to tell you what my family does. My kids are going to go to college one day. I'm going to set them. They're going to get an apprenticeship. My wife is good at this. I'm going to see to it that my wife gets good at what she does. I'm going to pray my family into things. I'm going to see by the Spirit ahead of time, 20 years, that my son is going to be this, is going to be a doctor, is going to be a preacher, that my wife, she's supposed to do this, but now she gave birth and now that she's going to step into this and they start praying that way. Why? Because the presence of God is in your family helping you to cultivate what God says and is forming your identity. But when you don't have that in your family, no identity. Yeah. You get carried into captivity. Everything comes along, just takes you, pulling you away. Yeah. Amen. Amen. But something happened and that is the God that you serve, that I serve, that we now serve Yahweh through the person, image of His expression, His name is Jesus. He started reawakening some prophetic voices at that time. Isaiah, Ezekiel, Ezekiel 37, 27 says in the ESV, it's a good version. If you're looking for the most accurate Greek version of the Bible, it is the English Standard Version according to my experts. That's just for you to... We'll get to that, amen. The ESV is very accurate. Ezekiel 37, 27. I will make my home among them. I will be their God. And they will be my people. Wait a second. Do you know what this is? This is a people that had lost the presence. The people that had been rebellious, Brett. God is now speaking to them again. And is promising a return of his presence. Amen. Thank God for Jesus. Malachi 3 verse 1. I'll read it to you in the ESV. Malachi 3 and verse 1 says this. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come unto his temple. You mean God's coming back to His temple? Yeah. Isaiah prophesies something that is so significant that people that heard it back in his day despised it and did not believe it. 
because it was taboo to say such a thing. It was audacious to suggest it. Isaiah chapter 2, verse number 2. Are you enjoying this tonight? Yes. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations all nations shall flow into it and many people shall go and say come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord the house of the God of Jacob and he will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem God is promising that His Spirit, in whom Israel disobeyed, His Spirit that Israel rebelled against, that even though they rebelled, that God would not charge the rest of the world for the rebellion, that there would be a return of His Spirit. Yes. Amen, brother. Haggai says, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? See, Solomon's temple was destroyed, and there was a weak attempt. I need you guys to get with me tonight, amen? amen? There was a weak attempt to try to build it in Haggai's day. Haggai walked around and says, Who y'all remember what the temple really remembered it was supposed to look like? You know, how many remember when we used to go into the temple and the presence of God was there and the priests were so orderly? And have you ever gone someplace where, I mean, it was, it was great, now it's there, but it's not as great. You ever seen that before? You've gone, you think back, like, remember what it used to be like over here? You know what I'm talking about? I remember when I went to my old school one time, just where I went to elementary school, to see the playground where I used to play on, see the basketball hoops and the basketball poles. And I went there. And they were there still. But the basketball pole, the rim was hanging down. The net was all beat up. The, gym, the jungle gym was still there. The paint was peeling off of it. Everything was chipping. Could you plan it? Yes, I technically, I could get out and plan it. But you know what I say to the person with me? You remember when? The rims were nice. We could play basketball. The paint was nice and bright and yellow. The merry-go-round was nice. You remember that happened? Yeah, I remember that happened. Well, guess what? It's not like that anymore. And so when Haggai went and looked at the temple, he says, they don't, they don't have the same spirit of the people that used to be in the temple. They don't honor the presence the way that they used to honor the presence before. And Haggai says this. He says, who of you is left saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? How does it, how does it look to you now? If you think and you're satisfied with this, you never experience how powerful the presence of God could be. When people are satisfied, they don't know what they can have. When I went to Brazil, I came back and said, My God, what have we been doing this whole time? You just put one person into that service. Sit, just sit here. Why? Because they're going to set up the sound system. They're going to set up the music. Just sit here for an hour and wait what happens. They come in. They start setting everything up. And all of a sudden, whew, the presence of God comes in. And this person's heart starts getting transformed. So all it takes. That easy. Amen. Amen. So the people were looking for a rebuilt grand temple. But look what it says in Isaiah chapter 63, verse number 9. Are you learning something tonight? Are you learning something tonight? Isaiah chapter 63, verse number 9. In all their affliction, 
he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. You know what some people do? God. Oh, I'm just having a bad day. You know, things aren't going right. My job just doesn't seem to be cutting out, you know, the way I thought it would. You're in trouble. Oh, I got bills on my desk. I can't pay. I'm depressed. You say, why don't you come to church and come in the presence with me? No, 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 I can't do that. But God fixed things. Mm. Come on. <laughs> well, I know a church that the Spirit filled over here. Why don't you come with me? And get... No, I don't have the time for that. I got to sit here and worry about what I'm going to do. Amen. <laughs> You say, you call the prayer. I need to talk to the prayer line. Yeah, yes, this is a prayer line. Yes, this is a prayer line. Yes, thank you for calling DBM Prayer Line Ministries. What can I do for you? My life's terrible. Wearing that prayer counselor out. Okay, we'll agree with you in prayer. Father, we agree with you in prayer. Amen. Nothing really spirit driven, spirit led. Just something. That, oh, I feel so much better now. That person prayed for me. Well, guess what? You're still a mess because you don't have the presence. So you wake up in the morning, you say, Oh, I'm still not doing good. And I'm on that guy at TVN. He may not have had it. He might not have what it takes to pray me through. That's not it. You know why you're not saved? Because the presence of God is not around you. For you to have the presence, it requires you to work for it. You have to go and give tithes to God. You have to go and in the middle of your affliction, say, maybe if I just get enough strength to lift my hand to God, I can get past my emotions, get past the way I feel. Say, God, I know I'm here, God. And all of a sudden, you're trying to worship, you're trying to worship, and whoosh, the Spirit of God comes in and grabs your hand and starts spontaneously speaking through you. The mysteries of God's power start showing up in your life, and you start saying, my God, I'm so glad I didn't call TVN, I'm glad I went to church. The presence of God ministered to me. Hallelujah. You walk out. Is things different? No. What's different? I'm full of something. Something is saving me, pulling me out. I got God's presence in my life. And your foot starts getting loose. It starts dancing. You get into the shower. You get out of the shower. You got a song in your heart. You wake up in the morning and say, you know, I feel so good. I went to church. I feel so good. Why do I feel so good? Because... The presence of God. Yeah. You know, when people say, you know, that was a good word. Yeah? I'm glad. Did you get filled with the Spirit? Well, no, I, I, but I got some, some notes here. You cannot be effective until you're full. If you're not full, you will not be effective. But I went to uh, Bible school, it doesn't matter. Amen? He says in their affliction, the angel of his presence saved them in his love and in his pity. You know why God redeemed you? Because he pitied the fool. Amen? <laughs> <laughs> and he bare them and carried them all the days of old. Oh, watch this. How many know what Ephesians 4.30 says? And grieve not. The Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed in the day of redemption. You know what Paul was telling the Ephesians? Don't make the same mistake that Israel made. Why would he say that if they didn't have what Israel had? Wait a second. You've been talking about the presence of God in the Old Testament this whole time. Is it possible that the presence of God in the Old Testament, the kabbaled glory that filled Solomon's temple, 
the pillar of cloud by day and fire by night, the burning bush? Is it possible that these personifications and anthropomorphous, these visible demonstrations of the supernatural were actually God of God, true God, like the Apostles' Creed says, from true God, light from light, deity of deity. Are you saying it is God? Yes. When they saw the bush, they saw the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. When they went to worship, they had a high priest, a Levitical order. Because inside, you can't go back there. Why? You can't go back there. You cannot go. You can come as far as this. But unless you are the sanctified, you're sanctified, set apart, high priest who's been selected and chosen, you can't go back to that curtain. But once a year, do you know why? Because behind there is the Holy Spirit. Yes. Mm. And when you rebel, He's grieved. Isaiah was saying, look what it says here. Therefore they rebelled and vexed His Holy Spirit. Therefore He was turned by their enemy and He fought against them. Then He remembered the days of old. Moses and His people saying, where is He that brought them up out of the sea? with the shepherd of his flock. Look at this. Where is he that put his Holy Spirit within them? Don't tell me the Old Testament saints didn't have the Holy Ghost. They did. Because people fail and think, well, the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. No, 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 no. The Holy Spirit returned on the day of Pentecost. Yeah that led them by the right hand of Moses with his glorious arm divide. Whoa, 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 you want some proof? Are you guys here tonight? Yeah. Dividing the water before them to make himself an everlasting name. The Holy Spirit of God was the one fighting for Israel while they were in bondage in Egypt. I didn't say the presence. I was calling it the presence. The presence of God. You know what the presence of God is? The Holy Spirit. You can't divide the Holy Spirit. Do you know what people want most? Presence. When somebody dies, you know what they say they miss the most? They don't say, I miss their knowledge. They don't say, I miss the stuff they knew. You can find that in a book. I miss what they look like. Don't need to know what a person looks like. I miss the way they smile. No. You know what they'll say the most? I miss their presence. Because once something leaves, you can't have the presence. Long distance relationships, you know what the worst thing about them is? No presence. They can work, but no presence. <clears throat> That's why people spend big money to go see each other because if you didn't need presents, you could do this over the phone. You could get FaceTime. You know what FaceTime can't give you? Presents. There's something about having that person's energy and vibrations and smell and all the things that come with it. And God says, unless you have my presence, 
you have no purpose. So he says, where is he that put his Holy Spirit in them? That led them through the deep as a horse in the wilderness. Now they're using metaphors, similes, that they should not stumble. You mean if I don't have the presence of God and the Holy Spirit in my life, I'm going to stumble? Yes, you are going to stumble all over yourself. As a beast goes down into the valley, the Spirit of the Lord caused him to rest. So didst thou lead thy people to make thyself a glorious name. Look down from heaven and behold from the habitation of holiness and thy glory. Where is thy zeal? Where is thy strength? Where is the sound of the bowels of the mercies toward me? And they restrained. And it says, Doubtless they are our father through Abraham. Be ignorant of us and Israel. Acknowledge not us. Thou, O Lord, art our father, our redeemer. Thy name is from everlasting. Are you saying that all this stuff in the Old Testament was the ministry of the Holy Spirit? That's exactly what I'm trying to tell you tonight. The Holy Spirit was at work. He's always been at work. And then now we'll pick back up in the beginning that I started with my message. Jesus says, Now that I've come, See, when Jesus was baptized, now that you know that, now you know what came upon Jesus. Because guess what? When He was baptized, do you know what He became? The rightful high priest of your salvation. And He didn't have to go into the holies of holies. The holies, oh my God. Things changed. The holies of holies went into Him. I hope you appreciate what I'm teaching tonight. Because if you don't, you need to go back to kindergarten. Go back to cutting out things in coloring books, okay? Mm. <laughs> oh, you know, you're teaching too deep. Yeah? Go tell that to the algebra teacher. You're teaching my eighth graders too deep. Don't teach them algebra. We'll teach them one plus one. They're 14. Right. I went to a youth group one time. I was teaching this stuff. You said, you know, you teach too deep. I said, what do you want me to do? You want me to come in here, put some Lady Gaga and dance and say, Jesus is awesome, dude. <laughs> they walk out there in sin, going and looking at things, living in sin. How about we give them some power? Yeah. Teach them some Bible. Amen. Oh, you know, we're just going to come in here and be cool, try to be hip, try to introduce pop culture. Pop culture will kill you. Pop culture education. Started from the bottom now and here. Yay, God. You got your promotion making everybody miserable with your promotion. God takes you from the pit to the palace. And when you're in the palace, you start taking an iron fist and slugging everybody. Because God never changed your heart. So the Holy Spirit comes inside of Jesus. Something happens. He becomes the Seven Spirits' wonderful counselor. And everything, oh Jesus, you mean he wasn't that before then? He was a carpenter, God of God, but he didn't have the empowerment of the Spirit. And now Jesus is the mercy seat of redemption. 
He is. Where did the presence of God exist? Between the mercy seat. The Bible for word for propitiation in Scripture. That Jesus is the propitiation of our sins. It means that He is the mercy seat. He is the ark of the... Oh, you're not seeing as Jesus Christ is the ark of the covenant. People say, I can't find the ark of the covenant. We have Him. He's Jesus. Walking around with the presence of God. Demons come in. Come out of this person. Walking around destroying God's true enemies. Hallelujah. Watch this. Jesus is called... This is going to be a free uh, onion ring for you, okay? Remember I was talking about that? Okay, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Do you remember when David, Jesus was called the son of David? Do you know what David was notorious for? Killing giants. He's a giant killer. <clears throat> You'll find in the Chronicles that David's brothers killed the other giants. Goliath's brothers were killed by David's mighty men. I'm not going deep into this. This is just this is a nugget because I know you guys are hungry tonight. Mm -hmm. It is believed by theologians that demon spirits are the spirits of giants. Mm -hmm. Son of David, Jesus. David had the presence. What did Israel have when they went into battle? The Ark of the Covenant. The presence of God, David, and his mighty men with the presence, an outward presence. But then something from the lineage of David shows up on the scenes. And they don't have the presence carried by the Ark of the Covenant. The presence that was in that Ark is now in Jesus. And he walks around and guess who fears the son of David the most. David carried the presence and the giants feared him. Jesus carried the presence of God and guess who feared him the most? demon spirits because they knew what was inside of Jesus spiritually what was inside of, oh, inside of David physically David was knocking them down physically killing them and that spirit came inside of Jesus and so when the spirit that was inside that physical man saw Jesus he said we gotta run we gotta go he's got that presence inside of him and Jesus goes into the grave comes up the resurrected. I haven't even got to how this affects you. Come on with. I mean, I, I, this, you haven't even seen this yet, what's inside of you. So Jesus tells his people, I'm getting to, Lord, slow the thoughts down. Come on, God, I'm just, can I only got one mouth? <laughs> Are you here tonight? Yes. Are you here? Yes. yes. I'm going to just jump over. Go with me to Romans chapter 8, verse 11. This is so powerful. This is powerful. Jordan, this is good stuff, my man. This is good stuff. You're going to be a champion. <laughs> Are you excited? Yes. <laughs> verse number, Romans chapter 8, verse 11. But if the Spirit, but if the Spirit, but if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. Wait a second. 
The spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. He that raised up Christ from the dead, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Thank you, Jesus. Something, this is my point. I'm, I'm going to talk about this scripture in, when we get to the house of the Bible class because it's saying something that is very powerful. Yeah. But the point is that Paul's revelation revolutionized the church. Mm -hmm. The apostle Paul came along and said, go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and, verse, and chapter 3. Let me show you. 1 Corinthians, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. My God. You walk out feeling so full like Thanksgiving dinner just happened. <laughs> You're done butting your pants. Go watch football till you fall asleep and your wife has to take you up to bed. Okay. Something was going on in the Corinthian church that was terrible. People were self-promoting themselves based upon all types of knowledge and wisdom. And the Apostle Paul was coming along saying that these are false teachers because they're not building upon the foundation of the Apostles and Prophets. And that was Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. This is the foundation. Jesus. And look what it says in verse number 15. If any man's work be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So what he's saying is all these teachers that are coming along and teaching you, let them be known right now that if they build upon the foundation anything, anything that has not to do with the things of the Spirit, it's going to be burned in the last day. So you come along and you start teaching all sorts of stuff that has nothing to do with God's plan of redemption in Christ in you. Guess what happens? God accounts it for nothing. And look what he says here. Know you not that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells inside of you. He's not talking about here. Saying, well, you know, you know, this is uh, you should eat better and eat healthy. This is not what he's talking about right here. He's saying the spirit of God dwells no longer inside of man's temples that are made with hands. Everything that Israel was going through, building tabernacles, trying to go through the desert and make their pilgrimage, all these kind of things. There's no need because what was in Solomon's temple, what was in the Exodus, what divided the seas, what divided the uh, cause Israel real to, to be successful in the desert, that stuff is what? Now inside of your own heart. Thank you, Jesus. And it was first demonstrated inside of Jesus. And when Jesus left, if the spirit of him that raised Jesus from the dead dwell inside of you, it's living inside of your heart. People were destroying the church in Corinth by their contention over the leaders of wisdom. And Paul goes back to what they understood, and that was temple imagery. And what he's saying is this, that there are people in Corinth, Gentiles, 
erecting superstructures to Athena and all of their gods back then, Jupiter, every person they worshipped. And he would say, listen, you don't have to be concerned because there's no presence inside of them. You don't need to erect any kind of temple. It's okay if you meet in houses because the true habitation of God's spirit is not a building any longer. It is his people. And you don't need to build some Vatican, some big luxurious building. St. Peter's Basilica, because God's spirit is not in that. When the church, the people of God, start to meet, that is where the presence of God is at. You meet in a hotel, the presence of God is at that hotel. You go into a mall, the presence of God is at that mall. Why? Because God never desired to dwell in temples made by hands, but he wanted to be by his people. Yes. Yes. Amen. Hallelujah. I want to be by my people. And he says, do you not know that you're the temple of God? So write this down if you're taking notes tonight. Is anybody here? Yes. The gathered church is the place of God's own personal presence by the Spirit. This is what marks the people from all the other people on the face of the earth. The local church is God's temple in the community that it is placed. Because of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you, when the church of God gathers, God abides among His people. Are you here? Yes. The local church, write this down if you're taking notes. The local church is where the presence of God can and should be found in a community. And the local church should remain sanctified, mm -hmm. holy, and set apart. Mm -hmm. It should be. You know what people don't talk about today? We talk about being relevant, but whatever happened to being peculiar? Yes. Yes. That's right. The Bible didn't say you are relevant people. The Bible says you are peculiar people. And sometimes you cannot have relevancy at the effect and the expense of being peculiar. Because the moment you try to be relevant, you lose your significance. I would rather have significance as opposed to relevance. Because we're going to see in just a second that once the Holy Spirit inside of you opens up your eyes, the world ain't going to see what you see if you set yourself on fire. Right. We're just going to do all sorts of stuff. You're going to, you let the world inside of the church. Guess what? The presence of God is grieved and says, bye. See you later, alligator. Are you guys here tonight? Yeah. Mom, man, you made me work hard tonight. Man, oh man. I gotta be up early in the morning. I don't have time to be tired tonight. Amen? So God's temple was an alternative to the pagan temples in Corinth. And nothing impure was allowed in those temples. So why today do church people invite the world in? Because watch this. Temples full of sin degradation, the popular thought of the day, God says, I need an alternative for my people. 
So he carved out the church. You and I have the presence of God. We start meeting. We have the presence. You have two choices. You could go to the world. You could go to the alternative, the church of God. But the minute you allow the world into the church where the Holy Spirit's at, guess what? You cease to be God's alternative. Yes. Now there's no option. Mm. Now God says, you know what? The world's come in. You say, but we can, we can, we can do it Christianized. Mm. No, I don't believe in redeeming songs. If the world wrote that song, the world wrote that song. Don't try and bring it into the church. Yeah, it is. Amen. Well, you know, we're just going to put different lyrics behind it. Yeah, but you still got the same spirit. And you know how it works? By association. You know what happened to the church? You pushed the Holy Ghost out of the church? Guess what happens? You lost creativity. The song's not coming out of the mind of the spirit. It's coming out of the mind of Usher. Right. It's not coming out of the mind of the spirit. It's coming out of the mind of earth, wind, and fire. It's not coming out of the mind of the Spirit. It's coming out of the mind of whoever else you listen to. Yeah, but it's such a cool beat. Don't you think God has a beat sanctified for His people? Yes. Well, we're going to get a song and we're just going to... No! Well, you know, it's cool. People come in. This is the coolest church in the world. You guys here, you know, you play close. No! Amen. Amen. But, you know, the song, you know, people say, they say, this song is not dirty. You know, it, hey, listen, if you listen to, just go, listen to what you want to listen to. This is not me to get up here to tell you what to listen to, but I'm going to say something. You want to listen to that stuff? You want to listen to temptations? Listen to temptations. I got nothing wrong with temptations. But let me tell you something. Don't bring it in the church. That's right. That's right. But it's not bad. Yeah? You know what else isn't bad? Sharks and fish and swimming and scuba diving. We don't bring that into church either. Do it in this place. Yes. Keep it outside of the church because it is not to oust the presence of God. Yes. Your, the, the, the music is not Elvis Presley never was meant to bring the presence of God. It's meant to entertain you. It's meant to make you say this is fun and help you fall in love. It's not meant to say Holy Spirit come in here and fill this place. I want stuff that has the mind of the Spirit yeah. behind it. I don't go to church to be entertained. Yes. I go to church because I have the Spirit of God living inside of me. And if we can come together and release that Spirit, that same Spirit Spirits that move the ocean and cause the Red Sea to part. That same spirit that the Levitical... Look at how the Levitical priesthood honored that presence. They cleansed, they washed, they prepared themselves for weeks and months at a time because they knew the day of atonement was coming. But we come to church and we say, well, I just come to church yelling at my wife. I come to church making fun of people. I come to church. I watched a dirty movie before that. And you have no experience with God. Why? Because you don't sanctify the presence of God that's in the church. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Wow. We wonder why today in America, mayors in Houston, Texas, want us to turn in all of our notes and why everybody's just, okay, we'll do what the mayor says to do. And, you know, we want to just, all this stuff is happening. We wonder why. Because somebody messed with the presence of God. That's right. Leadership is to blame because we thought we wanted to build nice temples. And big works and we yeah. said well let's get to the promised land at the expense of having the presence and if you throw the presence of God out of one church and you start doing it to churches all across America guess what's going to happen Babylonian captivity well we have the Holy Spirit in here look go online and you can see our doctrinal statement the Holy Spirit <laughs> isn't just a part of your doctrinal statement the Holy Spirit is a living person three yeah. things I want you to write this down who the Holy Spirit is.
The Apostle Paul had to seek to explain the Holy Spirit several times in the New Testament. Are you learning something tonight? Yes. Say, well, we have the Holy Spirit in this church. Have people been saved? Well, I don't know. I mean, if the Holy Spirit's working inside of a church, people won't just answer an altar call. They'll become disciples. People say to me, well, what do you believe? Someone asked me this yesterday. said, do you believe, what do you believe about all the people that come down to the altar call and get saved? Nothing. What well, is ministry had, you know, X amount of people get saved this year. Did they? Or did they become disciples? And the question I want to ask is, who are you discipling? Yes. Do you have disciples? No, but I go to church. Do you have disciples? I have disciples. I have people I call every week. What's God doing in your life? How can I help you? Come on, meet with me. Building relationships and confidence. We want God to move and work and we say, yeah, God, we want to help you, but we don't want to get close enough to people to be their disciples and be their mentors for them. You know what people in the body need? Mentors. You want the pastor to be the mentor. You want the pastor to do it all. Why? Pastor can't do it all. Should be mentors. And that's another message. Are you here tonight, church? My God, my God. I want, I, I, I'm not, God is not, Jesus didn't say go into the world and make converts. He says go make disciples. You have the ability. If you've been saved over three months, you should be able to disciple somebody into something. So there are three metaphors tonight. I want to show you this. That emphasize the Spirit. Number one, present evidence of future realities. To understand the Spirit, let me say this. Let me get, get ahead of myself. To understand the Holy Spirit, what He's doing right now, you have to understand salvation. There is two sides of the coin. And let me say it tonight. There's number one. Neither are part of Paul's theology. Now we're going to get into teaching, okay? I'm done trying to solve the world's problems. <laughs> Amen. Mm -hmm. Number one. There is maybe those that believe that God has left us right now in this state, in the pit, to duke it out with the devil. That, you know, somehow, way or another, we're just trying to get by until we make it to Beulah. You know what I mean? Trying to get by, I'm poor, I'm sick, I'm beat up, but bless the Lord, I'll worship God at all times. And, and that's not it. Paul, didn't lead, Paul did not talk about how we're just going to have to suffer to this earth and just keep suffering, 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 oh, suffering. Everybody, I want to be poor. Jesus, thank you for this cancer. Jesus, thank you for this disease. That ain't how the Bible talks about. Right. Amen. Amen. But there's also radical triumphalism, which means that everything that Jesus did for us should be received in this time. And that's not true either. Mm -hmm. Because like the kingdom of God, your salvation is but is yet to come. What do you mean by that, Brother Palmer? I mean that everything that Jesus did for you has been accomplished. Right. Amen. He doesn't have to do anything else. No. But you don't have it all yet. Mm -hmm. What do you mean by that, Brother Palmer? Well, we're going to see in just a second. You don't have everything that you're going to get. And the very first thing that God talks about as the Holy Spirit is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22. You write this down that the Holy Spirit, number one, is the present, write this down, the present evidence of a future reality. The Holy Spirit is present evidence of future reality. And number two, he is the assurance, the assurance, assurance of final realized glory. Mm -hmm. 
because you can get healed, but you know, you may have back pain in this earth. Not because you're sick, just because you're getting old. Mm. I don't have to have that. Uh, okay. <laughs> Keep on believing. Well, I don't have, listen, you go to any church that believes in prosperity and healing, most of them people have something they're taking medicine for. I'm sorry to tell you that. Well, well, well we, we just believe we're going to get up. You're going to believe your way to your 95 and go home to be with Jesus. You're still going to have something you have to deal with. Because guess what? Your body is dying. All of our bodies are dying. That's a bad confession, Brother Palmer. It's true. That's why we need Jesus. My hair, I'm 30. My hair is already getting gray. You know why? The hair gets gray because it's dying. Well, confess them. Confess that. Confess it. No, confess it. It's dying. <laughs> So, guys, you know what I'm saying? I did everything for you, but you're going to see why we need the Holy Spirit in just a second. Number one. Okay, the Holy Spirit is called the down payment. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14. This is interesting. Because the Holy Spirit has to be understood outside of signs, wonders, and miracles. We think the Holy Spirit has been given just so we can have the gifts of the Spirit. I'm not even going to talk about the gifts of the Spirit tonight because we talked about the gifts of the Spirit. Talk about everything else He is to us other than the miracle power working of God. Which is, look at this, in whom also you trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Okay, so you trusted in God, you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Are we here? Mm -hmm. In whom also that you believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Which is, which is, who is the Holy Spirit? Which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. So, let me illustrate like this to you. I say this in my book. I talk about how, you know, when I went to lease my first car, it was a Jeep. Back in, they were giving them, practically giving them away off the lots. Back in 2006, you could go in there, and my Jeep payment back then was lower than my cell phone payment now. Mm. So I walk in there, young 21, no, this was, yeah, this was back in 2006. 22-year-old young man, first job, you know. And I said, I'm looking at this Jeep right here. They look at me like, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right. You're gonna, you, 22, are going to get a new Jeep? Well, I was living with my parents. You know, I was saving money. I wanted a nice car. Had worked hard, got through college. I deserved something, right? Mm -hmm. So I talked to them about colors and interior and all sorts of stuff. But they didn't know I was serious until I pulled out a check. I said, what do I make this check out to? And they said, oh, he's got some money down. Took the check out. $2,000, made it out to the Jeep department, or whatever, Jeep, whatever, Schumann dealership down the street, just down the street from here. Gave them the earnest money. And do you know what the earnest money did? It initiated a contract. Because we had the contract out and we were signing papers, but the papers didn't count for anything until that check was stamped at the bank. The minute the check was stamped and given, you know what they said? Now you're in contractual agreement with us. And do you know what, after it was initiated, do you know what it also meant? That I have guaranteed by sincerity that I'm going to finish this contract until the end. Are you guys here with me tonight? Mm -hmm. So when you receive the Holy Ghost, mm. the Spirit that was in Jesus, mm. it was the initiation of God's redemptive contract in your life. Mm. God says, I'm going to initiate a contract with you. I'm going to enter into agreement with you.
We're so big on covenant. Now, covenant was Old Testament. You now have something better than covenant. It's called the spell. Oh, my God. You didn't get a covenant. You got the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of promise is much better than a covenant. God says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give to them the Holy Spirit. And now, I don't have to have a bull and I don't have to have a goat. Because you know what a covenant requires? Blood. When did you ever cut covenant with God? You didn't. You never went and made a sacrifice. You never went and offered a, a blood sacrifice. Jesus did that for you. And God says, I'm going to initiate my contract with my people. How do you know you're in contract with God? I got as Holy Spirit living inside of my heart. That's how I know I'm in contract with God. I got a spirit from Him living inside of me. Yes. You tell someone, why are you so happy? I'm in covenant, I'm in contract, I'm in the spill of the Spirit. And then you know what that also means? It means that the person that put the money, oh my gosh. Tough crowd. I'm preaching in Virginia tomorrow night. Maybe they'll be a little bit nicer than you guys. I'm just kidding. That's what happens when it's good. Oh my God, give me five. <laughs> have you have you read my book? I've read the first one. Do you have a second one? No, I don't. Well, now you do. That's what you get for being nice to me tonight. <laughs> Amen. 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 Oh, you're a little bit louder now tonight. <laughs> Amen. I learned that one from Bill Winston. You know what I mean? <laughs> the person that put the money down, it guarantees that they will finish the contract. <laughs> How do you know you're going to heaven? I got the Holy Spirit inside of me. Amen. What's that supposed to mean? It means that it's going to finish what he started. Amen. <laughs> He's going to finish what he started, I said. You mean it's not finished? No, the work is finished. But the execution is not finished just yet. Yes. And you see that every time. I used to see that every time I did a home going or a funeral. I said, someone says, why did this person die? I said, because they have to receive everything that's been guaranteed yes. to them. Yes. And they ain't always receive this side of glory. Why did Aunt Smith die? Well, number one. I won't get into that. Mm -hmm. Number two, write this down, write this down. This is, ah, I wish I could take you to Romans 8. My God, do you feel like you're in Bible class tonight? Amen. Someone say the down payment. The down payment. The earnest money. The earnest money. My, my, my. So now you understand that what this means, that salvation is, but it is yet to come. You say, it's just going to, someone look at the name and say, it's going to get better from here. It's going to get better from here. One time someone and me got in an argument because they thought that you didn't have to die in this life. They said, everything Jesus did is finished, so we don't have to die. I says, well, I'll talk to you when you're about 85. We'll talk about that. <laughs> 90. Let me see if you still believe that. And then he was telling me the teacher he was listening to. And he was saying, you got to listen to this guy, blah, blah. You know, a year later I talked to him. I said, what happened to that teacher you were telling me about? He goes, he died. <laughs> good <laughs> Romans 8 is probably the most famous chapter in the whole Bible outside of Genesis 1 and John 3 uh, Romans 8 is so powerful I break it down in my book for we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain into now he's talking about hurricanes and all sorts of stuff, creation, everything but you. 
And then he says, and not only they, but we ourselves also, we have been given the first fruits of the Spirit. First fruits of the Spirit. First fruits of the Spirit. Jordan, come up here. First fruits, just to illustrate to you. Now, the first fruits of the Spirit, just want you to see this, just so you understand. Jordan, you stand right here, like a good, a good evangelist of God. <laughs> Say, how'd you get your start in the ministry? I was holding fruit for the minister. <laughs> Brett, you know, take a picture, Brett, you know, here. Okay, this is the first fruit of salvation. Okay, we have, uh, the Bible says, and I want you to see this, okay? The Bible says concerning the ministry of the Holy Spirit, mm -hmm. that He is the first fruit of our salvation. First fruit. We see this word sometimes. What does first fruit mean? What does, what does first fruit what does first fruit mean? The first first fruit. You got that? Yeah. Someone say first fruit. First fruit. Okay. So when you see this right here, this is the Holy Spirit in your life. You get born again. You, hold it, hold it. You get born again. I'm going to drop it. <laughs> you get born again. You get saved. You say, God, come into my life. God says, oh, you want me to come into your life. I'm going to fill you with my Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. So the very first fruit of your total salvation is the Holy Spirit. So you're walking around, you got nothing, you're broke. You just, you, you know, Jordan just got, you know, you saw a couple weeks ago, Jordan got the eyes taken off, he got the liver, you know, he was in bad shape, right? You remember that? Who was there for the illustration? Bad shape, everything was going bad. Now God says, Jordan, you're, you're still not doing so good, man. I'm going to give you salvation. You know what I'm going to give to him? First fruit. He says, here's the Holy Spirit in your life. Gives him the first fruit. But, first fruit, you can take a little closer and take, first fruit, look up here, look up here, first fruit, come closer, Brett, come closer. <laughs> we gotta run social media too, you know, we're trying to get good pictures, so come a little closer, come like right up here, up right up here. First fruit, I'll live my, first fruit, <laughs> yeah, Brett, you know, Brett's my man, he's my right hand, he's such a hell, man, I love him. First fruit, someone say to me, first fruit, first fruit is not. Is not. Only fruit. Only fruit. First fruit, First fruit is, not is not the only fruit. The only fruit. What is fruit? Fruit is evidence. So when you see this apple, you know, picture you knew nothing about apples. All you know is they come from somewhere. So you see this apple, you, you're on the earth for the very first time in your life, you walk in, and you you on the ground, you say, Oh my god. What is this right here? Where did this come from? You said, this, someone says to you, this is an apple. You say, an apple? What do I do with it? Well, you can eat it, you can mash it, you can do all sorts of stuff with it. But, it came from somewhere. Where did it come from? It came from a tree. So fruit is evidence that more exists somewhere else. So you see this apple. You say, this is a nice apple. But you know what this apple is testifying to you who's eating it? There's more apples where it came from. You say, really? What about this orange right here? Yeah, yeah, they grow in pairs. 
there's more oranges where this came from. Right. You say, but is it true with this lemon? Yeah, there's more lemons where this came from. You know what this is? This is the love of God. Amen. Do you know what this is? This is patience. You say, no, it's a green apple. No, it's patience tonight, okay? <laughs> Do you know what this is? This is faith. Do you know what this is? This is peace. And when you receive God and the Holy Spirit, the way, the reason your life comes into purpose is because you receive the first of that fruit. And when you have it, it tells you, you like that? Yeah, I like this. How much you like? I like it a whole lot. Well, guess what? One day, there's plenty more where that came from. So I've given you what you need right now, but one day, you're not just going to have the apple. You're going to have to trade. Yes. Hallelujah. Mm -hmm. Go ahead and sit down, Jordan. Amen. How about that? Is that? Can you remember that? So people say, well, I want the tree right now. You don't get the tree right now. <laughs> I'm sorry you don't get the tree. Why, why can't I have the tree right now? Because the tree's in heaven. But guess what? One day, when you take your last breath or Jesus comes, whether it be or whether whatever happens, you someone say, well, what happened when Uncle Bob took his last breath? You say, well, he went to the tree. The Lord took him to that tree. You say, what's the tree? Well, let's keep reading. So, the Holy Spirit is a present existence. And though we have trials, difficulties, we have the Spirit which is proof that something else is waiting. Yes. And the last thing the Bible calls him. What time is it? Is it midnight or something? What time is it right now? Eight, okay, we're in good time. We're in good time. Thank you, Jesus. Yo, after service, let me make this announcement. There'll be fruit on the table. Amen. We're going to have fruit after service. <laughs> He's right. We got the Jordan's got the fruit ministry. He's a, <laughs> the Holy Spirit. In Second Corinthians chapter one verse twenty-two, he is called the seal. Seal, not a seal that jumps through hoops and an animal seal, but a seal back then was a stamp or an impression with wax or clay, and it signaled three things. Number one, you can write it down: ownership authenticity and the protection of the owner the seal is metaphorical language you don't really have a seal on you you have the spirit and when you have the spirit that means you have been marked and God has claimed you for himself and it authenticates you as a believer and if you do not walk with the seal then guess what there is no proof that you are authentically God's outside of your own admission. Mm. <laughs> well, I'm saved. Really? You look at pornography every night. Right. Well, I'm just bound. Maybe you're not saved. <laughs> well, I'm saved, but you abuse your wife. You know, on Monday, you're cussing at your wife. On Tuesday, you're smoking marijuana. Mm -hmm. On Wednesday, you're fornicating. On Thursday, you're lying to everybody. On Friday, God knows what you're doing. And on Sunday, you're in church. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, oh, this is Hezekiah. Well, that's my favorite song, Every Praise, blah, blah, blah. Then Monday's back again. You in the back break room smoking, talking dirty. Guess the joke I heard. Let me tell it to you. Where's the seal? Where's the seal at? Well, how do you know? you? Well, you can't judge a person's heart. I'm, I'm just, I'm not judging you. I'm trying to tell you if you don't have fruit, there's no proof. I don't need to, I don't need to prove nothing to you. It's to prove it to yourself that you need Jesus. Well, I don't got to prove nothing to you. I don't need to prove that I'm, why don't I just prove to you? You, you, you one day you get a temptation to do drugs and you say I can't do drugs I belong to God guess what proof something's working in your life the kabod glory of God is inside of you say no we will not let smoking we will not let lust we will not let pride inside the heart it's proof that the heart's been transformed you have the seal on you are you here well, now this is where it gets good, my friends. This is where this is where it gets so good. You know what people say all the time? They say, "Well, <laughs> we love your ministry, but you're one of those tongue talkers, aren't you?" Yeah. Mm -hmm. I am. Why are you a tongue talker? The Bible talks about it. The Bible talks about it. it just happens to talk about it, you know. Well, you know, we we believe. You know, I was doing a. Uh, a blog, I belong to a community of bloggers. There's a lot of them and it gets a lot of website traffic. And I send blogs in once every so often. Mm -hmm. And they're from all denominational backgrounds. And they talk about all sorts of things that, that I don't necessarily practice, I'm not against, I'm not critical of it, I just don't practice it. I don't see the need. Well, I wrote a blog about something and I mentioned praying in the Spirit. I say when you meditate the Word of God and praying in the Spirit XYZ. Well I was in England and I, the, blog, the blog was posted and I checked it. It says when you pray and meditate the Word of God XYZ. I said when you I said I said when you pray in the Spirit. And they cut it out. I said why did you do that? They said we want everything kosher on this website. I said but the Bible talks about praying in the Spirit. You know where I go? I go to a seminary that does not believe the way we believe. Mm -hmm. And when we sit in Greek class and we talk about the word glossolalia, which is where tongues comes from, mm -hmm. did you know that they do not have an explanation for that other than it is language that is not from the mind? Even the people that believe the gifts of the Spirit have passed away cannot contextually get around what that's talking about. Mm -hmm. Are you here today? Yeah. And so, you say, well, why, why is it that, I, you, you know, what is the Spirit's ministry here? Okay, write this down if you're taking notes. Salvation in Christ includes both getting in and staying in. Because in the beginning you have faith to get in. But not only faith keeps you in, faithfulness keeps you in. So for you to stay in, to get in, requires faith. To stay in requires faithfulness. So in putting faith in Christ into the image of God, when you have faith, you are transformed into the image of God. But this is a transformation that takes place 
consistently yeah. over time time in and time again let me say this about the baptism of the Holy Spirit there is a school of thought that believes you receive the Holy Spirit in all his fullness the moment you get saved that the baptism of the Spirit is not a consequent experience after salvation you're baptized in the Spirit the moment you get in so they say well I've got all of God the moment I was saved that's not true no and let me tell you why that's not true and I know we're getting doctrinal tonight, but this is the point of the class. We're gonna, when I start talking about studying the Bible, we're gonna, we're gonna, I might even have a chalkboard there tonight. We're gonna get activity. It's gonna be fun. Come. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is too often looked at as something you encounter one time in your life. He is something that you continually encounter and you have need of daily refreshing from Him. What you got in February, there's more today. The Apostle Paul experienced Jesus the day he was saved. But guess what? He, Ananias, came and saw Him when His eyes were opened and that's when He was baptized in the Holy Ghost. Paul in Acts 19 says, Have you received since you believed? Have you received the Holy Spirit again in full measure since you believed? So we say, well, you know, I got everything I need. So you don't have to experience the Holy Ghost again in your life. You got the one day you got saved. Now that's all there is to Him. Amen. So let's go to Romans chapter 8, verse 26. I want to show you this and then I'm going to close. This is it, okay? Are you here tonight? Amen. Romans 8, verse number 26. So in verse number 23, we see that we have received the first fruits of the Spirit. Amen? Amen. But it says in verse number 26, Likewise, the Spirit also helps. Well, let's back up to verse 25. But if we hope for what we see not, then we do with patience wait for it. So there's something that we're hoping for and waiting for, and I just told you what that is. That is the completion of your salvation. The part of the salvation that you have not yet received. And you know what that is? That's basically your inheritance as a child of God. I have an inheritance. Neymar, you have an inheritance. Natalie, inheritance you have. Brittany, you have an inheritance. Caleb has an inheritance. Guess what? You don't have your whole inheritance. That inheritance is the tree. It's not all yours right now. It is not going to ever be all yours today. And you are with patience waiting for that salvation. And part of that is your glorified body that you are going to put on and be like Jesus. He is the firstborn of them that believe. Are you here? The word firstborn actually is an idiomatic phrase that literally means he is the privileged one. Because he is the creator of all creation. He's the highest of all creation. And you fall right under him. And guess what he created for you? A glorified body. Hallelujah. Right? But until that time you are with patience waiting for it and so to understand the ministry of the Holy Spirit you will find out that it's important to know what your weakness is write this down if you're taking notes your weakness that Paul is talking about here is the present human life that is still lived in the context of disability I don't have disability that's a bad confession yes you do have disability What's my disability? The disability is you get headaches. The disability is that you know you just can't, you know, you, 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 uh, oh, you know, you just, whatever, your, your arthritis hurts when you're, you know, can you be healed? Of course, but you still deal with it. Are you here? Yes. Some of y'all look, look like you checked out. 
So God did not leave you in the present situation to slug it out in the trenches until you have your salvation completed. He gave you, He gave to you the empowering presence of God. He gave you the Holy Spirit. The Spirit was experienced and was given to constantly be experienced. And so the way that the Spirit of God is experienced most in your life to help you against your weaknesses is in prayer. Are you here, people? The way that you are going to experience help against the weakness, Damar, is when this Spirit begins to help you with prayer. Write this down if you're taking notes. God told this to me this week. I said, wow. <laughs> prayer has to be effective and it's most effective when it is spontaneous. Well, we can pray, but you know when you start praying spontaneously, someone else is doing it for you. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I say the same words every time we pray. That's not the Spirit. That's right. That's you. This is powerful, right? This on. When you pray for others or for yourself, well, let's say when you pray for others, when you pray for others Mm -hmm. under the inspiration of the Spirit, you know what it is? Intercession. Mm -hmm. When you pray for others under the inspiration of the Spirit, it is called intercession. When you pray for others under your own inspiration, is called manipulation. Mm. When you pray for others under your inspiration, it's called manipulation. Well, God, I just want this will for them. That's your will. How do you know you're not praying God's will? And for you to start praying the perfect will of God for somebody, you know what you do? You start praying in the Spirit. You start praying in the Holy Ghost. You say, I don't believe in praying in the Holy Ghost. I'm sorry to hear that. But in your present weakness, we do not know how to pray. So the Spirit prays for us with inarticulate groanings in tongues. This becomes prayer towards God and speaking mysteries to Him concerning what you're praying about. Are you here? So write this down if you're taking notes. Prayer is not simply a cry out of requests or a grocery list of needs. It is activity inspired by God Himself through the Spirit. The same God who was with the Israelites, the same God who met Israel and Moses on Mount Sinai, the same God that fights for His people, the same experience that Isaiah, Ezekiel prophesied of, is God Himself coming to help you to receive your inheritance. Are you here? It is God siding with His people to bring forth His perfect will and His perfect ways. Someone says, 
What's all that praying in the Spirit? You say, God's praying with me. Why? Because He's siding with me. Why? Because He wants me to come into His perfect will. It is the ultimate expression of His power while you're living in between the time of your salvation. You don't have your present reality. Your present reality exists in another place, but you're weak in this place. You got things you're dealing with. You got bills to be paid. You got people and you got situations. You got things that are out of your control. What are you going to do? Have God side with you and start praying in the Holy Ghost. Start praying in the Spirit. Start getting God to roll up his sleeve and be next to you. Yes. Hallelujah. Yes. <laughs> Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. Yes. <laughs> Are you here? Amen. When prayer, I'm almost done. When prayer is in its rightful perspective in our personal lives, the corporate assembly of believers becomes a place where the Spirit of God is manifestly present leading the church to praise God and edify one another when the Holy Spirit is present with his people it's no longer you trying to do something on your own I'm weak, but you're strong. Do you know <clears throat> that the power of the Holy Spirit is often greatest present in our sufferings? You're going to suffer in this life. Don't talk like that, Brother Paul. Must Christians suffer? Yeah. Yeah, not by the will of God, but by the will of everything that's fallen. You're going to have some suffering to do. You know people that teach that you're not going to suffer in this life? People that buy into that teaching have a hard time understanding when they suffer because the Bible does not teach you're not going to suffer as a matter of fact the Bible teaches suffering not as the will of God but suffering is going to happen but you know what the most powerful thing is that the Spirit of God is strongest in your sufferings yes yes glory yes it is yes it is the message of the Bible is joy in the midst of trial yes in the midst of suffering. You know what someone told me? He says, um, I'm preaching a sermon on praise and praising your way through. I said, okay. They said, do you know anything on Philippians? I had just wrote a whole article on Philippians. I submitted it as my next blog. I'm putting a whole New Testament devotion together. Amen? 365 days of things you never knew from the New Testament. And he said, what can you get out of Philippians? I said, Philippians is a very interesting book. Because the Apostle Paul is in jail in Rome and he's writing to the church at Philippi because the church at Philippi was concerned for his sake because they heard that he had fallen into Nero's trap and he was being persecuted. So they sent Epaphroditus with a letter concerning his welfare, asking how he is. And so the Apostle Paul from Rome writes a letter back to the church at Philippi. And you know what's interesting is that the people in Philippi saw how when the Apostle Paul was jailed with Silas, in a few hours' time, they lifted their hands and began praising God. In just a few hours, the open door of that prison was caused by a miraculous earthquake, and Paul was set free, and people got saved. So prayer 
often breaks you out of your suffering. But let me tell you something. He was in prison in Rome for two years. Writing to Philippians. And you know what the message was? The prayer and praise didn't get me out of prison this time. It sustained me while I was in the prison. Sometimes your prayer and praise ain't going to get you out. It's going to sustain you while you're in. You say, well, I praise, I ask myself silly. I didn't get out of my suffering. Guess what you're doing? Your prayer and praise ain't going to get you out of this life. It's going to sustain you while you're in this life until you receive the crown of glory. And you know the crown of glory is just metaphorical speech. I do not believe when you get to heaven there's going to be a crown put on your head. You say, why don't you believe that? Because it's, the word crown simply means reward, honor. And you know what the crown of glory is going to be? It's something better than a crown. It's your glorified, reborn, human body. You say, where's my crown? God says, oh, you thought it was a crown. Put this body on. And you say, I've been the crown of glory. The reward of glorification is I now am with Him. And when you get to heaven and you now have that crown of glory on, your glorified body, and the Lord says, well done, good and faithful servant. You will abide in my presence forever. And you think about all the trials and the difficulties and the hell you had to go through in life. You know who God's going to honor? The humble, wonderful, loving, compassionate third person of the Trinity who is your faithful companion and help the whole way through. And He's so humble. God will look at you and say He gets all the honor because it was His siding with you in your moment of difficulty and trial that brought you and sustained you. The first fruit, the seal, the down payment is the reason you are where you are. The person, promise, and power of the Spirit. Stand to your feet tonight. Now that you've heard the light of today, connect with us. Go to our website, lightoftoday.org. Write us at P.O. Box 403, Wald Lake, Michigan, 48390. Or tweet Chris Palmer at twitter.com forward slash Chris Palmer. Our podcasts are free and updated regularly, so make sure to share them with a friend and tune in again to the light of today with Chris Palmer.